All right. Good morning, everybody. I have uh, two questions for you. Two questions. When I was a kid growing up, you know this, uh, when I was a kid growing up, uh, there was kind of a rule, no, t- no talking in church, uh, except by the pastor. And, uh, and so, but as a young kid, I thought I was the exception. And, uh, and so it used to get me in trouble a lot. So that's why I became a pastor, so I could talk in church without getting in trouble. So, so but what we're going to do this morning is it's not just going to be me who talks, it's going to be us who talks. And so I'm going to ask you to discuss two questions that you might find a little bit awkward uh, to talk about, but I think there'll be really good questions. Before I do that, real quick, I want to touch base with you about a couple of things. Last week, uh, last week, first of all, I want to just say a big thank you for how you guys have demonstrated your love, concern, uh, just your appreciation, your uh, support for, for joy for me. Uh, in, in our church. We really appreciate you guys very much. We love you so much. Uh, so grateful I get to be your pastor. And, uh, and, and the elders uh, agreed to the idea of me doing a sabbatical. And if you're unfamiliar with a sabbatical, it's a very, very common practice. Uh, it's something, actually it goes all the way back to the Old Testament, uh, Leviticus chapter, I can't remember, but it's also in, in Exodus as well. And, uh, but it's been a common practice for many, many years in academic settings where professors will go away uh, on a leave of absence. Usually what they do is they use their leave of absence for research. They'll use it for writing, things of that nature. And uh, it's part of their, uh, the way that they, they're set up. So like schools like University of Stanford, other schools like that, common, common practice. It's something that's becoming more and more common in the business world. In fact, over 20% of the Fortune, Fortune, yeah, Fortune 100 best companies to work for, uh, over 20% of them have built-in sabbaticals for their workers. So this is something that's been embraced more and more by the professional world, but it's also something that's done very, very much in the ministry world. And so, uh, so, uh, so what typically what what pastors will do when they go on sabbatical, it'll change a little bit from pastor to pastor, church to church. So some of you kind of question, you know, you've asked, so what does that look like? What does a pastor sabbatical look like? And so a, a sabbatical is a little bit different from a vacation. Uh, they're similar in that both of them usually have a built-in time for rest. But in a sabbatical, what you do is you work, you just do a different kind of work. And the kind of work you're doing on, it was real interesting. I put together a sabbatical plan for me, and I gave it to some buddies of mine, all of whom were pastors, and all of them basically said the same thing. Gary, you're going to need a sabbatical after your sabbatical. Because I had like 15 different goals. I had a number of books I was going to read, an amount of writing I was going to do. And they said, you know, there's nothing wrong with reading books, nothing wrong with writing. But rather than having a goal, just let it come. And so what my sabbatical is going to look like is going to be more like this. Is there's going to be a lot of praying. And then with that praying, there's going to be a lot of reading. And with my reading, I'm not going to try to... Uh, to develop my skills or my abilities as a pastor. It's not about that at all. It's more about just developing my walk with Jesus. It's more about deepening my walk with Jesus. So there's going to be a lot of prayer because before I read, I really want to be making sure that I'm really connecting with God. I think, I, I think that's something that all of us need to do all the time. But, but, so it's, it's born in prayer, but there is reading. And with that reading, there's a lot of reflection. And with that reflection, there will be some writing. But then out of that writing will come more prayer. And so really what I'm working on 
is, I don't, in the business world, uh, if you're in business, uh, you may be familiar with the concept of you need to spend time working in your business. I don't know if you've ever heard someone who's a, who's like, owns their own company, but they talk about working in the business. But if you're a really good businessman and you want to see your business excel, you also have to work on your business. Well, as a pastor, we need to work in the ministry and we need to work on the ministry. But more important than that, we need to work on the minister. Because nobody else can do the kind of work in my life that I need to do. Does that make sense? And the idea is with this is to be able to come back uh, with a spirit of revitalization to serve, to give, to love for years to come. That's the whole purpose of it. Does that make sense? So one of the questions was, uh, does this mean uh, we can't talk to you? Uh, and, and, you know, what do you do if you run into us at the grocery store? All right? What do you do? And what you do is you turn and run the other way as fast as you can. No, I'm just kidding. That, that's not what you do. All right? What you do is you come, you say hello. You say hello. And we talk. I mean, you, you know, we, we love you guys. We, we want to engage with you. But what we will ask you to do is please, 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 do not talk with us about church business. All right? Because that kind of defeats the whole purpose of what a sabbatical is about. Now, typically, if, if we had unlimited resources, Joy and I had unlimited resources, we might, we, we might do something like what my buddy did when he went on sabbatical. And they just, they have people who loved them, they have people who had resources, and they had friends who put them up in Hawaii for part of their sabbatical. They went to this island uh, that was off of... Uh, Charleston, and I've heard of it, but I can't remember what the name of the island is, but it's kind of a place where wealthy people live, and they were stayed there for a while, and then they spent some time with a guy named Timothy Keller, if any of y'all know who Timothy Keller is, up at, um, uh, what is it, Redeemer Press up in New York City, and then, uh, and then they got to spend a week, they got to spend a week in C.S. Lewis's home in Cambridge, okay? Now, we won't be doing that, all right? Joy still has to work. Faith still has to go to school, but what we will be doing, and we will be worshiping together as a family, but we'll be worshiping in another church in another community. And the purpose of that is it's almost impossible for me to walk here on a Sunday morning and not immediately go into ministry mode. Because what happens is when I walk in here and people want to talk to me a little bit about different things, and that's good, that's the way it's supposed to be. And I'm wanting to talk with you about things as well. But what this is going to be is it's going to be a focus time for me, a focus time for our family, just to kind of work on our walk with Jesus uh, and, and, and just kind of deepening that walk. So if you have other questions about it, we put together a sabbatical info sheet for you that's at the information stand. Please take one, look it through. There are different questions there. You may not be interested in all these questions, but you may be interested in one or two. So take it, get your answers to your questions. And by the way, you may not get answers to questions that you might have, and it may be that there's something you need to ask us we didn't even think about answering for you. So you can always feel free to bring those questions to us, and if we need to revamp this, we will. But I just kind of wanted to let you know what that's about, what's going to be going on there. Uh, one other thing, and then I'm going to ask you the two awkward questions, okay? One other thing is, is this, um, is that I really believe, I really believe that the church in North America the church in North America, what we need is not necessarily better programming in our churches. 
I don't necessarily think we need better methods. We have more books on methods. We have more books on programming than we have ever had as a church. But when you read back to the, the New Testament and you look at the church in Acts, they didn't have fantastic methods or programs, but you know what they did have? They had the Holy Spirit working in them. They did. They were people who would continually devote themselves to united prayer. And when they did that, guess what? God worked. Uh, the gospel spread through the ancient world like wildfire. And folks, if we think that we can outthink God and outdo God with our programming and our methods, but we're not seeking Him earnestly on our knees in prayer, then we're trying to build what only Jesus can build. See, Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say, you guys go build my church. He said, I will build my church. But what we need to do is we need to come together and we need to humbly seek God and we need to pray for what the church in North America needs today and that is revival in our churches. So what we're doing is on the first Sunday of every month uh, is we are meeting here at 6 o'clock Sunday evenings to spend some time in united, devoted prayer. Because the Bible says this. God says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And that's what that Sunday evening is. It's a time for us to seek and search for God with all of our hearts and to be found, uh, in us to find Him. And, and so uh, our next time that's coming up is October the 6th, so I just kind of want to let you know about that. October 6th, I think that's three weeks from today, and we would love for you to join us, but we're going to be doing that. So, two awkward questions. Are you all ready for this? So when I was a kid growing up, the pastor was supposed to talk in church. This is your opportunity to talk to people around you. So what I want you to do in groups of three or four people, I want you to ask and answer one question, and then I'll ask the other one. The first question is this. When is it okay, when is it okay for a church to be exasperated, to be aggravated, to be frustrated with their pastor? All right? This is a trick question, right? Okay. So I want you to do it. Please, go at it. I know what it is. <laughs> you guys need to start talking. You already got it figured out? Okay, all right. Oh, okay, all right. Well, pastors get letters, that's true. And sometimes people are very exasperated. All right, let's, uh, let's pause here. Let's pause here. We have one group back here uh, with Noreen that's already figured it out. Uh, but I want to hear from some of the other groups too. What are some questions or some answers you came up with for, for that question? When is it okay for church to be exasperated with their pastor? Judy? Okay, okay. When the pastor is not doing his job. All right, that, I think that was an amen. Okay. Uh, and what was the second part of that, Judy? Not following the Bible. Okay, yeah, I, I agree with that. That's, that's pretty good. Okay. Um, 
Okay. Uh, not walking your talk. Sorry, I'm not real fast at this. And then uh, telling people uh, how to vote, who to vote for. Okay. When the subject of money... Uh, gets bigger than God. Okay. Uh, one more. Kaylee? When they get mad at you for not attending church. Okay, financial, and we're going to rest it right there, okay? So, uh, I don't know how to spell malfeasance, so I'm going to, M-A-L, whatever, all right? So, so let's, uh, let's do this. Let's do this. Let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. When is it okay for a pastor, a spiritual leader, to be frustrated or exasperated with his church? Okay? So go ahead. In your group. No, no, no. No. We're, I want you to discuss it. I want you to let other people discuss it before we start talking about it as a group. So just discuss it in your little groups first. He wanted to read a book. All right. I, I hear a law. I see some of you are still talking, but I hear a law. When is it okay... For a pastor to be exasperated with his church. Never. Never. Okay. Someone else. Judy? Okay. Okay. Uh, When people don't follow through on commitments. Okay, so uh, they, they want to direct the pastor uh, in his preaching in a way that really neglects the gospel. Is that kind of what I understood you to say? So, Noreen, you said not showing up. And I heard someone right over here a moment ago uh, that, oh, the first love. Okay. So, when people abandon their first love. Okay. And the first love meaning Jesus. Okay. Someone else. Steve? Okay. Disunity. Disunity. Division. Okay, members leaving without explanation. By the way, sometimes there is an explanation, 
Well, sometimes it's given to me, but I don't have permission to share it with the church. Right, right, right. Kayla? Steal from the pastor? Okay. By the way, by the way, I'm missing two pairs of very nice cycling Typhosi glasses, and I'm also missing a very, very nice uh, cycling jacket, a Pearl Izumi cycling jacket. So, just saying, all right? <laughs> so, stealing from the pastor. Actually... Any of y'all who know me, you don't have ADHD. Those glasses and that jacket could be anywhere. (laughs) All right. What else? Betty? I'm sorry? Okay, so coming but not committing. All right. All right, anything else there? Conflict. You know, I find conflict to be hugely draining. Uh, just just saying. It, it just drains me. Uh, doesn't mean I don't love people. I just find it to be extremely draining. Some of you are nodding your head, so I guess it drains you too. So, Interesting, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah, yeah, that's what Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. All right, and he gave to us what? A ministry of reconciliation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, I've got room here for one more. Don't laugh at my jokes, okay? All right, and then I heard another over here, I thought. See, people sinning. Okay. Um, let me say something about this. Let me, let me say something about this. Uh, I, I can tell you this. I think it's okay for me to say this after 25 years of being your pastor. Few things grieve me more than watching a person in our church that we have counted as a dear friend, like a family member. I'm watching them little by little, step by step, walk away from Jesus. I walk away from this church. It breaks my heart. It does. It breaks my heart. Um, You know, the reason I want to ask these two questions, first of all, churches, congregations, can I use that word congregation? Congregations being upset with their spiritual leader is as old as Moses and the nation of Israel. Okay? People routinely brought complaints against Moses. Uh, the interesting thing is, is none of those complaints, at least in the scriptures, were considered legitimate complaints. But it is really all over the scriptures. This doesn't mean there's never a legitimate complaint, but a lot of complaining in the Bible is very unholy and very unhealthy. Just, you know, and read Hebrews chapter 13. That's all I'll say. Read Hebrews chapter 13. There are a couple of verses in there. It will really stand out to you. A lot of complaining uh, is very unholy, very unhealthy. I'm not saying there's never a time for it. I believe there is. Uh, But I also believe that there's a lot more cases where it's unholy and unhealthy. Uh, When is it okay for a pastor to be frustrated with his church? 
when you read 1 Corinthians, I hope you are. I hope you're reading 1 Corinthians. When you read 1 Corinthians, you need to read it with the understanding that Paul is a very frustrated pastor. Now, see, some people, they are very uncomfortable with the idea of a pastor being frustrated with them. They are very uncomfortable with the idea of a pastor who would be sarcastic with them on a Sunday morning. I mean, if I started being sarcastic, my guess is there would be a few people who would walk out and never come back again. And yet, next week, we are going to read a list of things where Paul goes through and he is very sarcastic. Not one time, not two times, not even three or four times. There's a fairly long list of things where he gets very sarcastic. So that raises a question, raises a question for us, is not just when is it okay, but when is it healthy? When is it healthy? So I think if I am sarcastic with you, I think that could be extremely unholy, extremely unhealthy. But if I have taken time to examine my heart and ask God to examine my heart, And if my goal and my aim is for you to move forward in your walk with Jesus, it could possibly be okay. Now, the reason I say that is because we see it modeled in the Scriptures. That there are times where there is a kind of confrontation that's very holy and very healthy, and it needs to happen. In fact, it's not just in Corinthians. When you read through all of the prophets of the Old Testament, You'll see it again and again and again. All right? So this does happen. This does happen. But what we need to do is we need to get past this. See, because what's happened in America today is we sometimes want pastors who will tell us what we want to hear instead of wanting pastors who will tell us the truth. We sometimes want someone who will tell us what we want to hear, but not tell us the truth. And my my job is to proclaim truth and grace. That's my job. It's not to proclaim truth without grace, and it's not to proclaim grace without truth. It's to proclaim truth and grace, because grace and truth are revealed in Jesus. That's what the Bible says. We're going to have no time for this message. But I'm going to give it a shot. The church in Corinth was a church in trouble. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open up. We may not get very far into this, and that's okay. The church in Corinth was a church in trouble. In some measure, I said this last week, in some measure, every church is in trouble. By the way, the church in North America is in huge trouble. The church in North America is in absolutely huge trouble. It is. And it's interesting, if I was, I, I shared this with Joy the other day, and I, I also shared it with Andrew and Tessa the other night, uh, but, and, and I may have shared it with some others of you, I can't remember if maybe it was you, Steve, or others, but if I were starting our church all, all over again, if I were starting our church all over again, the first series I would do with you would be the book of Genesis. I would just go straight to the book of Genesis. The second series I would do with you would be the book of, of Romans. I would just go straight to the book of Romans. 
The third series I would do with you would be 1 Corinthians. That's what I would do. I am sad it's taken me this long to get here to doing a series through 1 Corinthians. But I'm excited we're doing it now. Uh, when you look at, at the church in Corinth, it was a church that desperately needed revitalization. They needed revitalization because they had a lot of different, uh, they had a lot of unhealthy attitudes, a lot of unhealthy, unholy thinking. Uh, there's a guy named David Pryor, uh, John Stott. You probably heard me talk about these guys. But, but John Stott, uh, British uh, evangelical theologians, actually both of them are British evangelical theologians. By the way, I do read others as well. Uh, but, but they're just the ones that, that speak to this issue. But both of them, uh, both of them highlight and talk about that, that the church in Corinth was a church that had a defective understanding of the church and a defective understanding of leadership. By the way, that is so true of the church in North America. There's a very defective understanding of what the church is supposed to be, what it's supposed to look like, and how we're supposed to live out following Jesus and living his mission together. We, we, this is something the church in North America really needs to work on. We're also, the church in North America has a very defective understanding of leadership. In fact, most books that are recommended on leadership for pastors tend to come out of the business world. This is interesting. This is a confession. This is a failure of mine. This is where I have tried to build Christ's church with wood, hay, and stubble instead of gold, silver, and precious stones, which uh, 1 Corinthians talks about. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about. I remember early in seminary, and I had great training, but I remember sitting down with a group of guys, and we were talking about, anybody know who Peter Drucker is? He's deceased now. He's with the Lord. He's a follower of Jesus. Good man, had a lot of good ideas. Very, very, a great thinker with regards to business. But I remember sitting down and we were talking about these three questions that you need to answer in business. And we were trying to apply it to a church context. The three questions are this. Number one, uh, what's your business? If you don't know your business, you'll never be able to excel. What's your business? Number two, who's your customer? Who's your customer? Three, what is your customer value? Okay? And so what we did is we sat down together and we said, okay, uh, if our business is seeing lost souls saved, and if our business is seeing lives tra- transformed and changed, then who is our customer? And we said, well, it's the unchurched, non-Christian uh, living in our communities. And so we said, well, what is it that our customer values? Now, here's where, if you're not careful, you can get very defective in your thinking. If you allow unredeemed people to define the values of the church, you can find yourself catering a message to a people to draw a larger gathering instead of really doing the work of, seeing people converted, seeing lives changed. And oftentimes, we have to preach a message that goes against, that's very countercultural, and goes against the demands and expectations of a culture. Are you with me here? Okay. So, in, in the church in Corinth, church in uh, trouble, church in North America, church in trouble. 
uh, defective understanding of the church, defective understanding of leadership. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to look at this a little bit at a time, but there are four major principles. Actually, there's five, but we're, I, I was going to break it down to four, and we'll probably get to two. Okay? But four major principles in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'll give them to you real quickly. Number one, we are God's children, and God wants to grow to maturity. Okay? Real simple. Real simple. We are God's children. God wants to grow to maturity. Anybody got a problem with that? No? Okay, good, good. Okay, number two, the church is God's field. The church is God's field. I'm sorry, don't, don't go to the slides. I'm sorry, I'm messing you up here. Uh, whenever there's trouble with this up here, with, with this right here, the real trouble is right here, all right? So what I'm doing is I'm going kind of out of line here, okay? Uh, we are God's children, and God wants us to grow to maturity. Number two, the church is God's field. He calls us to growth. Number three, the church is God's building. We need to... To, to build wisely and carefully on the foundation of Christ. Number four, the church is God's temple, and he will destroy those who destroy his church. That's what the Bible says. Um, let's look at this one thing at a time if we can. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, I'm reading from the English Standard Version here. It's going to be up on the screen. But what, what, what Paul says is this. He says, Brothers... Um, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. Well, what he's saying here is he's saying, hey, you guys, you, you're not very spiritual. You're very, very fleshly. Uh, a, 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 a way that this was introduced to me when I was a young man, a way that I was introduced to this as a young man is kind of like this. It looks like this. There are Christians who, uh, this right here, I, I, I know that that may not look like it, but that's a throne. Like a king has a throne, that's a throne, all right? And, and this circle represents your life. And right here, that's Christ. Christ is on the throne. And right here is self. See, this is what Paul calls in chapter 2 the spiritual man. It's the person where everything in his life is centered, excuse me, where the center of his life is Jesus and everything else in his life is organized around Jesus. Now, what happens for some people is their life looks a little bit more like this. Okay? This is their life. This is the throne. Jesus is right here. And right here, self. Self. Self is on the throne. What it means is that it looks like this. Maybe it looks like this for this person. It looks like, it looks like this. There's another way of saying it. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay? That's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It looks like this. This is Jesus. This is Jesus in their life. See, their life really isn't about Jesus. One hour Sunday morning is about Jesus. 
Or maybe they fit Jesus in a little bit more than that, but that's what they're doing. They're fitting Jesus in. They're fitting Jesus in. They're fitting Jesus in. They're fitting Jesus in. But life is ultimately about me. It's about myself. It's about I. It's, life is about me. It's about my hobbies. It's about my money. By the way, the reason a lot of times people get offended when you preach about money is not because the, the pastor is focusing more on money than on God, but because sometimes other people are more focused on money than God. Now, yeah, a pastor can focus more on money than God, but sometimes we can too. And what happens is, is when we are convicted by the Holy Spirit, sometimes we want to look at someone else who's the problem instead of, instead of looking right here. Okay? But, but when, uh, when my life is ultimately about me and my objectives and my goals, I am what Paul calls fleshly. That's what the Bible says. Fleshly. Uh, the, the, the Greek word is sarkonos. It just means it is a person whose fleshly desires, objectives, are what really is the organizing center of their life. And they fit Jesus in where they can. And if you go beyond that, they start getting really upset. Okay? So what we see here and what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people. Pneumatikos. I could not address you as this person where Christ is on the throne of your life. You are growing in your walk with Jesus. You're becoming more like Jesus in your thinking, your affections, your attitudes, your actions. I couldn't address you like that, church in Corinth. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food. See, they are, they are immature. They're like infants. Not because they're brand new Christians. If someone's a brand new Christian, they're supposed to be an infant in Christ. But if a person's been a Christian for years, if a person's been a Christian for years, and they're not growing, I mean, when a two-year-old acts like a two-year-old, we kind of get, you know, a little impatient, you know, it's kind of like, you know, because you know how two-year-olds can be. But when a 40-year-old acts like a two-year-old, you ever run into that guy out on the freeway? Maybe he ran into you. Um, and so what Paul says, I fed you with milk, not solid food. You, you, you couldn't even take the solid food of the Scripture. Uh, for you were not yet ready for it, and even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. You're still fleshly. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, see, see, there's a lot of jealousy and a lot of envy with this kind of person over here. Uh, for while there is jealousy and strife, there's a lot of quarreling, a lot of um, just, yeah, it's mumbling, grumbling. It's just a sour attitude. Um, you know, for while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one, one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely human? See, what God is wanting for us 
And what he's wanting for Solana Valley Church and what he's wanting for every person in this room and what he's wanting for every church in the Fairfield-Sassoon community and what he's wanting for every church across this nation is he wants better. He wants us to be people who are ready for more from God's Word. See, see if, if a person comes to church... And if you define a good sermon is, well, he told some good stories or he told some good jokes. If that's what defines a good, good sermon, if we're not careful, we're seeking entertainment instead of seeking something else, seeking Jesus, seeking to be equipped, seeking to be trained so that we can bring our gifts and our abilities that God has blessed us with in building his church. Does this make sense for you? Okay, number two, number two. Number two, and I'll stop with this one, okay? Number two is simply this. Uh, i got to see it. Um, number two is this. The church is God's field, and he causes the growth. By the way, can I make a person grow? No, I can't. Can I make myself grow? Well, I like the way Joe's kind of approach this. It's kind of like... Yes and no. I mean, obviously, we can do things that hinder our growth, but ultimately, it's God who causes the growth. Okay? You know, what, what the Bible says is this. He says, uh, what then is a policy? What they were doing is they were dividing over people. They were dividing over people. Is the church in North America divided today? Interesting. What did Jesus pray for in, 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 in John 17? Unity. He prayed for unity. In Ephesians 4, the Bible says to... It says to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. And so in the spirit of seeking unity and in the spirit of preserving the unity of the church, do you know how many Christian denominations we've created? Anybody know the, the number? Anybody want to guess? Too many. That's a good one. Anybody want to hinder a guess? I'm, I'm just kind of curious if anybody knows this. 110, all right, that's a good guess. 10,000, that's a good guess. Anybody else? Okay, 30,000. 30, oh, excuse me, 33,800. 33,800 different denominations. Do you think we struggle with unity? Do you think if we struggle with unity, we might struggle with carnality according to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians? Do you see why this would be one of the most important sermon series I would ever preach for our church? Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, so when one is of saying, I'm a Paul, uh, when, what, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Because they're, they're saying some of them were of Paul, some of them were of Apollos. Paul was the, the pastor who started the church in Corinth. Apollos was the second pastor, okay? So it's kind of like Gary and Matt, all right? What then is Apollos? What then is Matt? What is Paul? What is Gary? Actually, we should call Matt Paul, okay? Um, servants. That's all they are. They're just simply servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, says Paul. Apollos watered, watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth he who plants 
and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For you, uh, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. And what he's saying here is that, you know, uh, if you look at different pastors in our community, so let's say you look at me, you look at maybe Dennis Murphy over at Hope uh, Christian Church, uh, you, you might look at uh, Nate over at First Christian. You might look at Dan Deckard at Parkway Community Church. All we are are servants of Jesus. At least I hope that's what we are. And really, we're not trying to champion four different causes. We're trying to champion one person. And that one person is Jesus. And, and the, the truth is, That growth doesn't come from Paul, and growth doesn't come from Apollos, and growth doesn't come from Nate, and it doesn't come from Dennis, and it doesn't come from Dan, and it doesn't come from Richard West over at Liberty, and it doesn't come from me. It comes from God. See, it's God, the Bible says, it's God who gives, causes the growth. Uh, so that he who plants, he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. You know, it's interesting. I was reading from a couple of guys while I was preparing this text. And, and sometimes what we do in our world today is we like to celebrate certain pastors of certain churches more than other pastors of other churches. And I've thought about this a lot in recent years because I've thought about this with regards to my father-in-law, and I've thought about it with regards to my uncle. And I've thought about it with regards to a man that I, for many, many years, looked up to as kind of like a hero. Uh, the, the gentleman that I looked up to had a pretty huge ministry. It, by American standards, it was absolutely huge. By international standards, it was big, but not that big. I mean, you go over to Korea, places like that, you'll see churches that are absolutely, Africa, absolutely massive by American standards, uh, dwarf any church in America. But, but... You know, what I watched is I watched this man, I watched his ministry just go up in flames because of some inappropriate, unhealthy behavior. The kinds of things that a church should be exasperated with their pastor about. So there are times for churches to be exasperated with their pastor. I look at my Uncle Jim, and I've told you about him before. A man whose ministry was was ministering to poor black churches in eastern Arkansas back in the 60s and the 70s when it wasn't cool and hip. To, to pursue uh, ethnic, uh, you, know, uh, you know, celebrating ethnic diversity in the church, especially in Arkansas. Back then, no way. No way. That kind of a pastor was despised. My uncle was despised. And he went in and he would preach and he would do churches and he would, he would, he would preach the gospel in, in truck stops with truck drivers. And, and he would go into uh, uh, to facilities uh, for... Uh, what do you call it? We used to call it old folks' homes, but I think that's politically incorrect today. Retirement centers. Thank you, Carolyn. <laughs> she said it with a smart too, okay? Sarcasm is okay in the church. We'll talk about that next week, okay? So, so with, with, but in retirement centers, he would go in and, 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 and into jails. And what he did was he preached the gospel to the marginalized. That's what he did. And... Um, and as interesting as I was reading this, they were talking about how Jeremiah is probably one of the more celebrated prophets of the Old Testament that we like to read today. 
Jeremiah's ministry was incredibly small. He had very few converts. By American standards, it would be considered a complete failure. Jonah, on the other hand, preached the gospel in Nineveh. And, uh, and, and remember, this is the guy who tried to run away from God and said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I want to go to Nineveh. And he ran away from God. And God wouldn't let him run away. And he came back and he preached the gospel in the city of Nineveh. And you know what happened? The entire city repented and turned to God. And then you know what Jonah did? He got angry with God. It's interesting is sometimes we will celebrate people, but we don't celebrate the people who, from God's perspective, are doing a really, really good work. Does that make sense? But what we need to understand is that regardless of who's doing the work, it's God who causes the growth. And he does it for the honor and the glory of his name. There's some other really good stuff here I really didn't get to. Um, you know, that, that the church is God's building. And, uh, and when you read through 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, what you will read is we need to be careful how we build this building of God, the church. That we need to make sure we're building on the foundation, which is Christ, Christ crucified. And we need to build on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, which I believe is, is, is building with a pure heart, and it's building with using the raw materials of God's word. And, uh, but, but there's some stuff there. And then finally, in verses 16 and 17, what, uh, what Paul talks to us about, he says, the church is God's temple, and he will destroy those who destroy his church. We see several examples of this in the Bible. One goes back to Acts chapter 12. Uh, in Acts chapter 12, there was a guy named Herod, Herod Agrippa I. He was the grandson of a guy named uh, Herod the Great who tried to kill Jesus in Bethlehem. You remember that story? And Herod Agrippa I, what he did was uh, he had James, the brother of John, put to death, and then he put Peter in uh, prison. And then uh, later what happened was he had gone up to Tyre and Sidon where he was really angry at the people about some stuff. And the people began to, to yell out about Agrippa that he was a god. He was a god. And Agrippa kind of liked being called a god. Some leaders like kind of thinking of themselves in those terms. And he did. And he, in, uh, people were applauding him. And what the Bible says is that he did not give glory to God. And then it says this. He fell and died, eaten by worms. Um, there are some people who oppose the church, who try to destroy the church. Ananias and Sapphira died, died, because of how they approached the subject of giving in a church. Giving for the purpose of drawing attention to themselves. Uh, later in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, For if you eat the bread, drink of the cup, without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. You hear that? Is that, the thing is, is that there is a place for judgment. Uh, And there's a place for judgment uh, for those who are seeking to destroy God's church. And uh, yeah, I kind of feel like I'm not doing this, giving this a fair treatment. 
Um, one thing I'll say to you is this, and, and I think this is where I need to quit, is that that every one of us as followers of Jesus, when you read through 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I encourage you to read it, if you listen to me but you don't read the 1 Corinthians 3, I feel like I think you really need to read the chapter. But what it talks about is we need to be careful how we build, build with gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. And what the Scripture says is this. Each one's work, whether it's gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble, each one's work will be manifest. One day, my work and your work in God's kingdom will be made plain. It will be made manifest. For the day, meaning the day of the Lord, will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. So there is a judgment here. It's not a judgment of you and me, but it is a judgment of our works. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The point I want to make is this, is that the work that we do in Christ's church is very important. Okay? It's very important. It is a work that will be judged, and what is done for Christ, his honor and glory, will be rewarded, and what's done for any other reason will uh, be burned up, as the Scripture says, by fire. But the person himself will be saved. That's what the Scripture says. Um, most important thing you've got to do today, make sure that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. It's the most important thing you've got to do today. second most important thing you've got to do today is you've got to make sure who's on the throne of my life. Am I fitting Jesus in where he's convenient? Or is he really the center of what my life is about? I really think that's central to this teaching. Let's pray while the worship team come back up, okay? God, today... I want to praise you and I want to thank you because you are a good God. You are a gracious and merciful God. God, I am grateful that we will be saved if we put our hope and our faith in you. And Lord, what we want to do, though, is we really want to build on the foundation of Jesus in this church. And we want to build with gold, silver, and precious stones. Uh, Lord, uh, help us to examine our lives, help us to examine our works, and help us to live lives that are spiritual and not fleshly. And I pray this uh, in, in Christ's name and for your honor and glory. Amen.